Welcome to Men Speaking Out. It's a podcast where men talk to reveal, not to conceal. My name is Boz, and I'm your host. And before I go any further, let me break it down to you what our podcast is all about. Men Speaking Out is a show where men can open up and communicate honestly and freely on subjects that we sometimes hide behind or are concerned with what someone might think, someone might say, or even have an opinion of. Subjects like expressing our manhood, family, politics, jobs, parenting, relationships, including marriage and divorce, love, commitment, infidelity, sex, and whatever else that impacts us as men in our daily lives. This show does contain some adult language and content, so I'm going to forewarn you before we get down to business, this show is not for the lighthearted. Also, before we get started, visit us at menspeakingout.com and check out some of the hot topics, past podcasts, even submit an idea for the show. So let's get ready and enjoy the show. On paper, Danielle and Kristen Sills are the perfect first-time home buyers. Our credit is impeccable. Our savings are in check. Uh, we have zero debt, but in this market, we cannot compete. They've upped their budget and widened their search of the Boston area, but the last house they bid on had 29 offers. It sold for about 70 or 80,000 over what the asking price was. And it was a 1,200 square foot home. One of the biggest issues, the lack of homes for sale, 20% fewer compared to a year ago. We've built fewer homes this last decade than any decade going back to the 1960s. So going into the pandemic, we were already facing a housing shortage and it's just gotten so much worse. A new report finds the pace of construction slowed, creating a shortage of more than five and a half million units. You can't just flip a switch and create more housing. The advice for buyers, do your research on what homes really sell for, not just the list price, and know your budget and your limit. When might we see the housing market cool down? I think the housing market has already started to cool a bit, but it's not going to be a situation where buyers are going to get a better deal if they wait. Competition fierce with buyers making big life changes as we move toward a post-pandemic world. And I am uh, honored to have giants on the call with me today. These are just real estate market. Um, I'm really, this is not really my forte. So, but it is a, it is a subject I want to talk about. It's called the housing crisis, right? And so with this being said, and without further ado, let me go across the room here and to share these interesting people, you know, with them uh, to my audience. Uh, we're going to start with right next to me. We have off the record. We have David Shabazz uh, off the record. He is uh, with the new home sales and and uh, David. Hey, how you doing, my friend? Oh, my hey, brother. Doing, sorry, that's right, bro. Uh, that's doing well, man. You know, and 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 I just want to. I know we you, you categorize this or you label this as a housing crisis. I, I don't know if we're in a housing crisis as much as we are in a a shift of uh, uh, a housing shift more more than a crisis i think is what what we're looking at uh and i i'm very thankful and grateful that you you to be on today so we can talk a little bit about that shift okay okay thank you i appreciate that a housing shift and then we next to uh david we have doug with union mortgage hello doug how you doing my friend doing good thank you good 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 glad you could make it with us and right below myself we've got eric What's going on? Eric's not a stranger to the podcast. He's been on, you know, quite a few of them. He's a veteran of the show. <laughs> How you doing, E? I'm good, boss. Thank you for having me. All right, right on, man. And we have Lisa. Lisa is a, a realtor, uh, and uh, she's new to the show. And thank you, Lisa, for, for coming. We appreciate you. How you doing? Thank you for having me. And, and last but not least, we say that one of the best for last. We got Stacy. Stacy's another realtor here in the city of Indianapolis. How you doing, Stacy? I'm great. I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Hey, thank you all very much for being here. Um, so let's get right, right to it, right? So I'm, although I have this this podcast titled uh, A Housing Crisis, but David, what did you say? Give me the title again. I think it's more of a housing shift. A housing and, shift. And, okay. Right. And the reason why, this is the reason why I say that, and, and others may on this panel may disagree with that, and that's fine. 
I, I've been in this business 16 years. I've watched, uh, I built homes, uh, a ranch style home for 99.9, right? 89.9, you could be back in Indianapolis back in 2004, I could build you a brand new ranch for 89.9. Three bedrooms, two car, two baths. Okay. And for a long time, our prices kind of been, you can, I could build you a brand new home, 150, four bedroom. We were the most affordable city in town and in the, in the country. And now other country or other, excuse me, other States, you go other cities, you, you're not going to, you wouldn't find that. So what we, we basically caught up with everybody else and everybody else took a, they went a little bit higher as well. Right. So they saw an increase of 20%. We saw an increase of 20%. We kind of got where everybody else was. So there's a shift, but obviously incomes didn't catch up with that fast enough. So all those times we're talking about getting a, a skill, acquiring a skill, acquiring a trade, uh, putting yourself in position to be able, you know, to be able to afford a home. And then you have the other caveat of but there's a lot of single parent homes out there. There's no second, there's not a dual income uh, coming in. So that plays a role. So now you no longer can afford you know, the market that we're in, you know, if you want to be able to purchase. I read something today that said the housing market, the average in, uh, median rent is going to be $2,000 a month mm -hmm. and starting by June. So basically the next couple of days, they're saying the average rent is $2,000 a month and that the average family, that's what you're looking at. And this is going to be, this this shift is really going to have to make people reevaluate how their spending habits. I mean, it's just, you're going to have to really shift the way you do things. And that's why I met with a, an investor today. He said, it's a shift. Everybody has to shift their priorities in order to make it work. Gotcha. 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 So speaking to some of the realtors here, and I'll start with you, Lisa, you know, so uh, it, are we in a shift slash crisis right now? I mean. Yeah, I would say we definitely are. Yeah. And it's not a lot of people are thinking like, oh, the houses are eventually going to come down. They're not. They're not going to come down. It's, it, I don't think that they're going to go up too much either. I think it's going to, you know, stay. Yeah. Yeah. OK. All right. Well, I think, you know, uh, one of the questions that I had around this is that is it because of the supply chain. Right. You know, yeah. uh, for, for new, especially for new homes. Right. Yeah. You know, the supply chain. So it's. Things are, are are hard to get now. Prices are through the roof, which is trickling down to, especially for new home sales, getting something built, right? I mean, I had to say it myself. My wife and I, we went out to uh, get a house built. We looked at a home and it was, you know, 700,000. I was like, you know, this is a nice house. We can get it built. It was our final home or favorite home, however you want to word it. And then we go back two weeks later and it went up 20 grand. I'm like, what changed? Oh, oh yeah, well, the wood, you know, you did some, yeah. some problems back. You know, get that. I'm like, are you kidding me? And so we just decided to say, oh, time out. It's just, does, does it make sense for us to do this considering it might change two weeks later on us, right? Should we stay put or should we pursue this? So I want to ask you, Stacey, do, is it a supply chain issue? You could say that, yeah. I mean, it all depends on how you look at it. Some people, um, you know, the circumstances and their finances are different. Um, it all depends on what you're coming to the table with. When I talk to my clients, I let them know what we're up against and how we need to come at it. You know, you can't just come in with no money. There's some, even with, there's a couple things that I could do for them. Um, I do have one thing called ribbon is where they turn your pre-approval into a cash offer, but you would still have to put up at least like 2% just to get them to attach that addendum to your purchase agreement, you know? So, I mean, there's options to work around everything, but at the same time, you have to be realistic about what's going on in this market. You can't just come in thinking, like a renter, like the renter mentality that I've been seeing a whole lot. A lot of them come in, they think that, you know, oh, um, you know, um, what are they, What what's those things called? The little, the approvals, the approvals they do on uh, Facebook and stuff like that you see all the time where they're like, hey, I can get these approvals. I can make it look like, um, you know, you've been working here for so long. And, you know, they just try to do all kinds of things right now. And um, ultimately, you know, you just got to be realistic with your clients, but um, yeah, I do feel like it, it's. But you, you, you did mention something. You said they got to put down like like two, three percent, right? 
uh, it's with this program that just rolled out in um in indiana it's called ribbon so basically the you have to be pre-approved in order to be qualified um ultimately they'll attach their addendum to your purchase agreement making it cash in a sense so in an event where say your finances fall through you still they're still going to buy that house regardless the only way they're not buying it is if um is if something's wrong with the inspection nobody's willing to fix it other than that you know they're buying that house ribbons buying that house and then they're going to rent it back to you for so long and then turn around and get you into that house for the same amount that it was listed for so yeah the originally they they have you pay like two percent up front mm-hmm. and say um you do end up using your financing through your original lender mm-hmm. you'll just pay one one percent is credited to your to your closing and then the other one percent goes to ribbon because we use their addendum to get that house so gotcha yeah. now i i get that it's a special program right called ribbon that you have to put in like a you no know, two percent down but there are certain individuals who uh, maybe don't qualify for that, right? Yeah. So this is a question for Doug. Doug, by you being a, a mortgage, a mortgage guy, you know, and let's say if I want to come, if I want to buy a home, and the home is seven hundred thousand, I got to come to it with five or maybe eight, ten percent. That's like seventy k. Who can afford that? Right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean. I would just say from my experience, if I'm buying a $700,000 property, 5%, 10% expected um, on that, on that buyer, but that's not 700,000 is probably not our norm. Um, You know, our, I think the biggest issue, I guess, that I'm seeing just in this, uh, on this topic is, you know, there, there's all these people that are first time buyers that are not going to be buying right now. And the reason they're not going to be buying right now, at least in Indianapolis and surrounding area, is because they're being priced out of the market with the bidding war. And and every single deal that I've had over the last at least 90 days, if not longer, there's been appraisal gap on it. You have to be able to support an appraisal gap. and. You know, if we're doing those first time buyer programs, whether it's FHA or whether it's the home ready or home possible conventional loans, you know, these are these are people that are, you know, three percent, three and a half percent down. And, you know, traditionally we could get some closing costs included. Well, that's not happening anymore either. So, you know, the then you know, they don't end up buying a house right now. And, you know, you, you guys touched on this, but the, the real living wage doesn't increase. So the, the home value goes up and that's great for people that are holding real estate, but that's not good for people that aren't because I mean, I believe that, you know, wealth creation starts and ends with real estate. You know, when we look at our wealth and our society individually, it's, it's, it's real estate. Um, every single mortgage payment is, is putting money in my savings account. And, and, and that's the way I see it. And, you know, your retirement account. So those are the two, two pillars of wealth creation. And without, you know, these first time buyers being able to get in the market, I mean, they may never. Gotcha. So, so what I'm hearing is, is that, you know, um, basically with some of these, these prices of these homes and some of the bidding wars, um, some uh, first-time home buyers are really struggling to obtain financing, right? You know, and in that space, Eric, that's what I'm talking to you. Uh, you having that background, uh, you know, working with a mortgage company and so forth. You know, is it difficult for more uh, borrowers to to look at uh, government-backed loans such as FHA's and VA loans? Is it is it is it is it a challenge, um, especially you know, with this market being the way it is? In your opinion. Um, from what I can speak to in my current role um, is that it is a challenge for folks that are uneducated about what they need to do, whether it be a first time home buyer or either just in a tough situation financially to buy a new home. Um, I can only speak to the market here in Florida. I know due to post COVID or during COVID, uh, it was a biased market and still is. We've been priced out and a lot of folks from the Midwest and the East Coast uh, with the luxury of working from home, has sold their homes there, which were way priced higher, probably $400,000, $500,000. And they're coming down here 
and retiring early. You know, where they can get a 4-2 or 4-3 two-car garage pool, you know, for 350000 and still got money in the bank. And so it's a buyer's market. Now, what hurts for a lot of constituents here is like you guys mentioned on this panel is that in the state of the, the nation and the economy, the wages haven't caught up to the escalating prices of new home sales and materials. So you got a lot of new, uh, new home buyers, first time buyers, and you got a lot of seasoned buyers that are now trying to either um, just buy a, you know, a larger property because they can afford to. Uh, but a lot of traditional folks here in the South are being priced out because they don't have the income to support it. They don't have the savings account or assets to uh, attain a new home. And now the deficit of what's being faced here in the state of Florida is if you can't afford to be a first time home buyer or get into a program where it allows you, uh, you know, two to three years to build up your FICO score or either get your assets and your income up to par. There's no cap on rent here. So you got people that have investments home, investment home and apartment complex. They're charging, you know, $2,200, $2,500 a month, which could be typically a mortgage payment on a 4-2 bedroom, uh, a 4-2 single family home, which they're only paying in a one bedroom condo or an apartment. Wow, that's ridiculous. So priced out. So it's a very difficult space um, here in Florida. And as, as the initial question that you stated, um, I'm not in that sector right now to know what the lending practices are. I'm not in the front line of originations or sales. So I can only speak to in the secondary market when we're seeing a lot of folks that if they can't go and buy a new home, they're trying to refinance the current home that they have or either just hold on to the current home that they have by doing modifications. Right. I think that's probably one of the best um, and, and once again, this is not my, you know, my forte. I have the experts. I have, I have the big guns on the, on the call here with me to, you know, give me their um, respectful opinions. But I think that even in our situation, you know, holding on to the home that I have, you know, I mean, I, I have a, a 5,000 square foot home and my business out there, but my mortgage is under $2,000. So, you know, I'm just like, I got the space. Do I really want to take a chance and sell what I have? Because I will never get this, you know, the, 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 the rate I have, at the payment I have, at the space I have, you know, I mean, I don't think that that really exists anymore. I can go out and buy another 5,000 square foot home and have a mortgage under $2,200 or $2,000. Does that even exist? Is that, am I living in a fantasy land to even think I can even obtain another home in that space? You know, so it's speak to that. It depends on what you're looking for. So if you position yourself well enough, I have quite a few colleagues that take an opportunity on a disadvantage. Now, especially like I say here, you know, new homes and based upon material and um, inventory is being priced out. However, you do have some some folks that are here that are in a hardship. You know, I got a lot of colleagues that are buying foreclosure homes. So to speak to what you're saying is that inventory may be plentiful in that spectrum when somebody's loss could be your gain. You can go get a home for about 450,000, I mean, you know, for about, you know, what, 4,500 square foot, but it's a foreclosure home. You just got to make sure you get your inspection and and uh, the value should be there in it and but, move right in and, and purchase that. But don't you get into a bidding war, like Doug said? You can. You, you can. Know? But, but a lot, like I said, again, you're not you're not pressed for it if you're already in a home. You're just looking to buy something bigger or better. OK, OK, I got you. So you're not forced to move from where you're at. You have an idea to say, hey, in my current situation, I want something that's a little bit more robust, maybe a little bit more square footage. Maybe I want, you know, an office space or some type of, you know, amenity that you currently don't have besides the actual square footage. Okay. So you see you position yourself. You seek out that inventory and that property and that opportunity, and then you place an offer. Gotcha. So here's my question, and this is this is a question: um, how how is how is this impacting minority buyers? You know, considering you know, black home ownership has dropped 43 percent in 2020. That's according to the NAR. So something like this: how is this impacting people of color and obtaining a home? Again, I'll start with that. I think it's huge. I think it's a huge impact. You think about it toward the end of the Obama administration, 
you know, the government had allowed to lower interest rates to its all-time low, you know, a little bit under 4%. So even though we were still trying to educate minorities uh, to, to understand what it is to buy a new home and get their credit score right and get their income up to par and get their assets together, the score, I mean, the actual low interest rate, it actually catapulted them in still without even really understanding the, the mechanics of what it is to buy a new home. But now that this shift is taking place, a lot of people are taking a step back and saying, hey, you know what? These opportunities, I think if not, um, the, what, it's been about maybe quarter or two, uh, a 5% that the rate has went up. As far as the government, they've been putting it, uh, the interest rate has been going up a quarter percent mm -hmm. in the last quarter. Mm -hmm. So um, correct me if I'm incorrect, but now that slows down the appetite for people that are uneducated to purchase because they're like, oh, wait a minute, price is going up. I can't get that bottom line rate. And plus I don't have the FICO score or the income to qualify. So now they put on the brakes and that becomes a hardship. And then they just say, you know what? I'll stay in my safe space, I'll rent. Yeah, but I mean, I don't know what, maybe 2010-ish? I mean, 5% was, was decent, right? Yeah. Right? So. You know, I think that these interest spoiled. rates, guess, there you go. That's the word, right? Yeah. You spoiled us, right? We got spoiled with the interest rates. I remember when, you know, early 2000s, many of my clients had seven, you know, 8%, you know, 9% rates. And and then to see it drop, like, like Eric mentioned, below four. Uh, but you know what? There are some strategies that I've taken on in the last week or so that have helped keep my clients. I have one with a 4.1 interest rate we locked in yesterday. Another one, 4.25, uh, locked in a couple days ago. So there's some programs out there where the rate is still near 4%. And I'm able to get folks into homes that uh, that I probably, if I would have stayed with a traditional FHA 30-year 30, 30 fixed program, I wouldn't have been able to accomplish. So there are some, some tricks of the trade out there. And I think that, you know, you just have to be very strategic about how you move forward with your client. So for my realtors on the line, Lisa and Stacy, so when when you have a, 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 a potential customer or buyer who, who wants to you know buy a home, they, they got the credit right, uh, you know, they got all their stuff aligned, it's in order, but they say, but they may not get the interest rate that they potentially want. Are they detoured from buying a home just because of the interest rate? Yeah, I've had a, um, I'm sorry, Lisa, I've had a couple clients um, already just want to just either back out or have ghosted just because the mm. interest rates have gone up. Um, you know, they, they look at the interest rate and they're like, oh, no, oh, no, they, they panic. And I try to tell them, like, it's only a couple dollars, you know, just it's OK. There's been worse there's been worse interest rates. You know, mm. I try to calm them down and get them to understand. I put them on the phone with the lender. It, it still doesn't matter. It's like they get this this fear in their head about the interest rates. And I'm like, you know, it, it's, it's best to just calm down. Let's all come together and talk about it. But sometimes that doesn't work. Like me and Doug, you know, we've had a couple of clients that just ran off. You know, they ran off because they, they got scared of the market. They're scared of what what could happen. They're scared of how much they're approved for. They're, they're just scared. And, you know, no matter what logic you try to put towards them, that fear, it gets them. It does. Wow. What about you, Lisa? What's been your experience? Yeah, a lot of my clients, um, they get kind of shaken up with the interest rate. But I try to explain to them. Um, like Dave said, they're, they got spoiled with the pandemic. It dropped to like in the twos. So I said before pandemic, it was still in the fives. I started in 2018 and the interest rates were around 5.5. So I, I was just explaining like, hey, they went back to the normal, you know? <laughs> so they were already that, like that before the pandemic happened. Um, I also tried to explain to them about just buying a property period. Um, renting, that money is going, you know, that's not going, it's going to pay off the investor's mortgage, not your own. Mm -hmm. So I tried to explain to them the benefits of buying over renting um, and try to explain my own scenario. I brought a house last year and I already have over a hundred thousand in equity in my home. There you go. So I tried to explain to, hey, if I sell my home, I, I'm, le I'm left with some money. You can't do that when you're renting. 
So. Right. Well, well, I think Doug said it earlier, right? It's an investment, right? You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's you're, you're, you're paying yourself, right? We yeah. have a tendency sometimes as people to, to take what we have and give it to somebody else, mm-hmm. you know, and finance, our finances, we're, we're making somebody else rich all the time. Yeah, we but we're never paying ourselves. Well, you know, Jamil, to go back to your question, you mentioned how does this affect, you know, African-Americans and people of color, maybe, and I don't try to lump them in to low income and things like that, so that's not necessarily the case and all, you know, but that was one of the questions that we had discussed. And I just really think at this point, you have to be very strategic with your client. You have to be very strategic. You have to be able to say, okay, we're going to set some really clear expectations up front, whether that's including appraisal gaps, whether that's paying additional closing costs, paying the seller's closing costs. I mean, there's a lot of different strategies that you can take that would uh, secure that you're uh, going to find uh, affordable and obtainable, just attainable houses. I mean, there's a lot of people selling a lot of junk out there. There's houses that need to be completely <laughs> gutted. You know, I mean, there's a lot of options out there, some plentiful, some not so plentiful. So the, my point is, is that uh, having those conversations with your client upfront, setting very clear expectations yeah. before we even get in a car and, and, and look at anything, you have some money. You know, and one of the questions that I got from a guy, he's with Century 21, he's the number one sales agent for Century 21, makes millions of dollars. I met with him uh, several months ago. It's the very first question he asked anybody is, do your parents have money? And I, and I was like, wow. He said, yeah, because I'm going to need, we're going to need 20 to 30 grand just yeah. laying around for this transaction. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. where we are. And for the low income family or, you know, folks that are low income, they don't have that unless it's in a 401k. And if you really want to purchase a home, you're probably going to have to pull from it. I mean, that's the reality that we're in right now. I try to steer all my clients from down payment assistance. Like I tell them to put their sales in like a seller's mind frame. So if I can get them on a conventional program, I try to steer them towards that because most sellers are going to pick conventional over FHA, um, especially FHA with down payment assistance, because if they get down payment assistance, they can't bring any money um, above the appraisal if they get down payment assistance. Gotcha. So here's my question. This question is for you, Doug. Uh, the question that I have is, is that there's a hefty down payment um, does that help with the actual mortgage interest? Right? Does it matter? For example, if I want to put fifty thousand down for a house, and you know, but tend to do, how's that? How's that figure out for like as far as payments on a particular property? Right. So the down payment, depending on the program, if you put less than twenty percent down, you have mortgage insurance. Uh, it's the lenders force it. Um, from a buying down the rate standpoint, uh, I'm not sure if this is the place to explain that, but um, you can always buy down the interest rate, um, which is generally a percentage, a certain percentage, sometimes up to, I think 3% the cap on that, that you can buy down the rate. Um, So 3% of the loan amount to buy down your interest rate, but then that's a math equation. But all that said, I mean, it's really, you know, money solves everything. And, you know, when we talk about how this affects, um, you know, the black community, I mean, for me, it's economic. This is uh, statistics. It's uh, people can give me their opinion all they want, but the statistics are damning. And, you know, when we talk about what issues are facing, you know, uh, communities these days, it's economic. This is economic it's all economic and it's and it is discriminatory economically in my opinion because you know money solves everything if i'm sitting on a 401k that i can tap into well down payment uh, appraisal gap those aren't issues but if i'm a first-time buyer and i'm just trying to get my my foot in the door you know I'm, my my funds are limited and when a who's doing it at least from what I hear is the listing agent you know the the seller doesn't care about what the pre-approval says the listing agent does 
Mm -hmm. So the listing agent's looking at 15 to, I've heard somebody say 70 offers on one property. Mm -hmm. Wow. Mind boggling. But it's, it's the listing agent saying that, you know, this is the offer that we should accept based on risk. And when we talk about risk, you know, the, the government loan programs, which are, I, I was an FHA borrower on my first property. They're because of how competitive the market is, they're able to deny the FHA borrowers housing right now. So the isn't able to buy because they can't cover the appraisal gap. In my opinion, Jamil, that is discriminatory when you start discriminating against people because of the type of loan that they qualify for. Mm -hmm. I qualify for a loan. I'm able to purchase a home maybe because I'm not doing 5% or 10% down or whatever the case may be. I'm an FHA borrower. This is class action lawsuit stuff here, man. I mean, and people, and some of these brokers, they just don't get it. You know, if I'm going to be denied an offer, a solid offer based on the loan program that my customer or my client has received, I'm coming after you, Mm -hmm. class action lawsuit, and I'm going to put, I'm going to hold your feet to the fire. I'm done playing games with these fucking people, man. And I'm just being straight up with you. You know, my clients deserve, whether low income, minority, whatever the case may be, Caucasian, it doesn't matter. They all are afforded the same opportunities as everyone else. And if you discriminate against my client, uh, you best believe you're going to hear from me. And I'm just not as nice as everybody else. I'm sorry. Put the fire to them. You do. You do. You do. Wow. Wow. I hear someone saying you just all the time. Yeah, see, that's another thing too, right? We kind of leads to my second question. Uh, well, another Sorry, question before, around that. Boss, Go ahead. Before we move on, can I propose a question to Doug? Mm-hmm. Doug, um, in talking about some of the programs, is the in your sector is the eighty twenty program even available? Uh, define that a little deeper. An eighty twenty. Your first and your second, because you're talking about MI, and the, the customer needs to be qualified. At eight, at, at uh, with twenty percent down and eighty percent. So if if they uh, pretty much like at a hundred percent, do you guys offer in your sector an eighty twenty? So that that program is home possible, home ready is going to be your discounted MI three percent down, um, conventional. But there's income restrictions on that to qualify for that program. Um, as far as mortgage insurance is concerned, you could do a, and this is again economic, but if you had money, you could single pay your MI up front and then not pay it throughout the mortgage. There's a lot of different options um, in that regard to cover, but money solves all issues. But doesn't mortgage insurance only last like the first few years of the actual mortgage, like the first eight years or so, the way I understand it? Is they it- changed it. So used to be it fall off at 78%. And if you're an FHA borrower now, you're forced to pay it for the life. Right, that's the problem. But conventional, if, is it still the same? It falls off under 80% if they fell down? 78%. So, yeah. put, so put more money down yeah. to not have it or less money down to have it for the life of the loan. Yeah. So I'll, I'll, I'll give you some math real quick, just to kind of uh, bring this full circle on mortgage insurance. So even if you're a super prime borrower, you've got your 20%, you've got your appraisal gap coverage. So top end credit, the difference between the interest rate on a 10% down and 20% down is it's very similar rate um, generally. And then you'll end up, you know, keeping 10% of whatever the purchase price is. And then you'll also uh, only be paying something like $30 a month in mortgage insurance. So let's say the house is $500,000. Well, I'm going to keep $50,000 and I'll pay you my 40 bucks a month in my mortgage insurance until it falls off at 78%. Because I I mean, I'll, I'll keep that. Wow. That's, that's wow. That's interesting. Yeah, it's a different type of, uh, of of lending, Jamil. That you know, it's not necessarily that the rugged, predatory lending that we all experienced during the 2008, you know, 2007 yeah. timeframe. But it's a it's a bit different, and the rules have changed in in very subtle way. I mean, let's take the student loan, Doug. Take the student loan rule, right? That that change where it was it's changed to one percent. 
you know, uh, so if I have $100,000 in student loans, they're going to count $1,000 against me every month, my DTM, my debt to income ratio. Half you a know? percent if you run it through Freddie, not Fannie. Yeah. Fannie's yeah. 1%, Freddie's half. Wow. Wow. That's, that's, that's. And it's ways around that too. Can't you be set up on like a payment plan and they'll count that lesser yeah. amount? But if you'd like on a forbearance, does that still include, for example? I, I don't think you know, it can be like a zero. You have to kind of force like a payment because that's what I did when I brought my house. So they put me on like a $45 a month payment mm -hmm. and that's what they counted against me. Wow. wow but wow, just wow. think of the just think of the rule, though. you know, the 1% or the half percent rule. You know, I mean, it's just to, for somebody to, to think of that in a boardroom somewhere and say, OK, we're going to charge, you know, so, if you want to buy a house, it's going to cost you one percent of your student loan amount. I mean, so, think about that for a second. So let's 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 talk solution around that real quick. Right. So now we got listeners, you know, watching us right now. And I guess my question is, is there any way around that? Are, are there are there uh, certain um, things people can do to to try to um, avoid some of these challenges now. Yeah, I just spoke about one, like my my 10% uh, for student loans would have been 400 a month. Mm -hmm. And I set a payment arrangement with the um, Department of Education and it was $45 that was counted towards debt instead of 400. Mm. So it's ways around it, yeah. Okay, but you would have to contact the student loan people in order to make sure to set up a payment plan. Yeah, okay. so they can count that monthly payment for your debt instead of that ten percent. Okay, then after you have purchased the home and went through all the yep. steps, you, you can so go back, back in. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay, 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 okay. Because I'm, I'm, I'm hearing that financing is a challenge. You know, yeah, it is. It, it, it is a challenge, and I'm gonna read a quick stat from you for you guys. Uh, this, is a, this is a Zillow study uh, that was done in 2020. It says 19.8% of black applicants were denied a mortgage in 2020 compared to the 10.7% of white applicants. From the picture here, are we getting higher interest rates than, than, uh, than uh, people of color or black folks getting higher interest rates than non-people of color? I, I, are I, we, I, are, I, I mean, talk to me. I, I wouldn't see that. I wouldn't see no, I, I think the rules are the rules now. They're pretty, you know, they, they are what they are, you know, and you have to fit in that box. And, and it's not that the box is so small. The box is still pretty wide. You know, you still, you know, buy a home today. It's not a narrow box. I just think that you you have, when you come to the table, you got to come prepared. Remember I talked about setting those expectations up front? Yeah. You know, and, and if you're going to go buy a home, you need to be ready. You know, and have, and have somebody like Lisa or Stacy to represent you and give you the the uh, uh, the knowledge that you need to be able to make a sound decision before you're submitting an offer, right? Before you even put them in your car, I, I would say that Lisa or Stacy, right. you want to make sure that Doug has got them. He, they and met with them. We had a lender meeting. We all sat down. We know what the expectations are, how much money is needed before we go out and start uh, looking at home. But here's yeah. the thing, though. Uh -huh. but here's the thing. People will come to you and say they want to buy a house and their shit not even in order. I get it all the time. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. Anybody, anybody can have home ownership in today's market. They just have to sacrifice for it. Mm -hmm. You know, anything worth having, you have to work hard for it. Exactly. And I tell a lot of my clients, you have to be realistic. You might not have your dream home for your first home, but just you having a home, that's you having an investment that you can sell in the future and make money from it. Exactly. You get your dream home years from years down the line. So your I first home doesn't have to be your dream home is what I tell I my I keep on with, oh, well, stepping over you, Lisa. I'm so sorry. Oh, you're fine. <laughs> <laughs> no, please, ladies, go ahead. No, I tell my clients the same exact thing. Like all the time, I set them up with a with a buyer's consultation. I set them down. I have them look at the purchase agreement. You know, if we have time, I go over the whole everything, like literally from top to bottom, A to Z, just so they can understand what we're getting into. And if they feel like they're ready, then we'll move forward, you know, but I, I, you know, everybody, everybody wants to be a homeowner. Of course you can, but like, like Lisa said, like everybody's been saying, you have to make sacrifices. You have to really put yourself on a certain discipline 
and, and stay focused on that because otherwise you're never going to get there. If you're going out, okay, we're going finally get an offer show. Um, we finally get an offer accepted and then um, you go and open up a credit card. What are you doing? You yeah. know, now that's messing yeah. you up. Yeah. Or you go and spend all your down payment money or you're like, okay, you get you, you get cold feet because you feel like it's going to be too much for you to handle. Um, after we've already talked about everything that's going to, you know, come with being a homeowner, you're going to have to take care of your age back. You're going to have to take it. You know, you're going to have to handle all those expenses that come with being a home homeowner. And a lot of people, they just, they just, they, they get cold feet or at the end of the day, you know, they just don't understand the value of being a homeowner and understanding that once you step in that realm, you know, you're setting your family up for life. That's generational wealth that, you know, if you have kids, I have kids. So, you know, yeah. <laughs> my babies, I want them to be completely set for life. You know, just one home, hold it on to that one home. Like that's going to be for them for the rest of their life. And then my kids, kids and their kids, kids, you know, they won't have to want for anything as long as they hold on to that house, you know, grandma's house. Yeah. So that, that's the whole thing that I try to get everybody to understand. Like, yeah, like Lisa said, it may not be what you want, but take this this little hit for a second. Hold on about three to five years and then sell it. Yeah. Or bring it out, bring it out. Yeah, I, and I try to be an example for my clients. Like I'm divorced, a single mother of two. Um, I was a housewife before I became a realtor. So if I could buy a house that's over 200,000, so can you. Mm -hmm. Real estate is up and down. Um, and it was even harder to buy me being self-employed versus, you know, my clients that are, you know. Um, w2. W2, mm -hmm. yeah. So I'm just like, if I can get Okay, okay. Yeah. What was up with this mortgage fraud that happened a few years back? I mean, what, I'm- What year? I, 2008? What year are you talking? I think it was like 2005, six-ish or so. You know, they were the skipping homes away. They were That's the before my time, before I was in real estate. So James <laughs> and Eric- Okay, okay. We, <laughs> we ain't gotta get in all that. <laughs> Hey, look, okay, I, I am the, the elder statesman here. I'm probably older than everybody <laughs> on here, but look. No, I'm not talking about your age. I'm just talking about your experience. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I understand, I understand. But look, what you're right, Jamil. So literally you could do a, uh, no, I mean, Eric, you may remember those days. You could do a no, uh, no income doc, no doc. Remember oh, mm -hmm. those loans? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You, if you had a, like a, a six credit score, and you can, oh, it was called stated income. Remember that, Eric? Yeah, that as well. Income. Yeah, stated income, stated asset. You had no income, no asset. It was, that was a lot. Yeah. That was a lot going on. Wow. Yep. You, you, you had to literally qualify for a million dollar home just based on your FICO. Yep. Yep. No, you didn't need any bank, you didn't need any pay stubs, no W-2s. So that was just out of control lending. You know what I'm saying? Like. There were people buying homes, buying two and three and four and five homes that way. And you then know, you had one know. other one. There's another third popular one called uh, uh, no interest rate. Yeah. Yeah, yeah zero interest it. rate for the first three to five years. Zero. You didn't have to pay any interest. Yeah. Wait, wait a minute. This, this, who, de who designed these programs? That's, well, that's a scam in itself. Well, it, was, it was a prime buying tool for investors. Yeah. You can buy up as much a mini property. When I was underwriting, you can do up to maximum of six. And you know, at that point, you were renting them out, sitting on them until the equity, you know, would increase on them, and then you would sell them before the actual interest rate would kick in and it becomes due. But what happens is a lot of customers were buying them as single-family residents, and then they got in there, start making their payment, living life. Those three to five years go by, and then their their payment balloons. Yep. Now they get payment shock. You know, next mortgage payment, $2,000. Way back in the day. And they was like, where am I get that from? I don't have it. Wow. A lot of them even have to sell or they lose their home. You remember, Eric, when they had the 228, right? Remember, that was oh, a yeah. big one. We, yeah. You know, people bought the, the 228 loans. And uh, you were, you were, you were uh, basically fixed for the first two years. Mm -hmm. And then after that, it was it, it, it was a adjustable rate mortgage, yep. you know? And that payment could go from from 600 to 1200 their payment doubled 
Now they're losing their home. Here comes the foreclosure. But isn't it like a, a, a cap off, right? I mean, isn't it like a like percentage? Like, isn't it like a cap off? Like you had, it's like I don't know, doing some sort of a variable interest rate type loan. Prime plus two, prime plus four. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Because that, those, that those are your arms. And then they would throw a prepayment penalty on top of oh, it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which would, you know, stick them to it. They can't even sell it. Now they got to pay the lender a premium of a penalty. Yep. Wow. Yeah. So, so is that predatory? Yes, that's predatory. Yeah, lender. that was considered predatory. All the prepays, yes. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's, so, so I'm, I'm hearing that that doesn't exist today. Those those type of programs or thank God, <laughs> lending that doesn't exist. Well, we're today. not careful. A lot of those Ninas and Statis may be back. <laughs> well, the the bank statement programs are back, but they're they're back with a ten percent. Most of them are ten percent or more uh, uh, down. Uh, there may be a five percent. I don't know, Doug. You have a uh, a bank statement program. Mm-hmm. Yeah, some I know some of those programs are back, but the no, you know, no stated income. Uh, I don't I don't foresee those, but you just never know. You know, you never never know know. what happened is that those programs were for investors and and then the public found out about, you know what I mean? And then the self-employed. Yeah, but some people went to jail for that, though, right? Some did some people go to prison or uh, taking part in this mortgage fraud? Well, not necessarily. Uh, Bernie Madoff went to jail for, you know, for uh, for other stuff. But you think about a lot of the big heavy hitter uh, lending institutions um, were fined heavily. And then they had to sell off a large portion of the assets. Wow. If you think back when that finally dissolved and the courts, you know, you know, laid the gavel on it. You have Bank of America doing a huge split. You had Citibank had to sell off some shares. Mm-hmm. You know, a bank that I worked for for over 15 years, they completely dissolved and moved out of North America, HSBC Bank. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. They so, were big. They so were yeah, big. so when the government, you know, laid the hammer down on a lot of lending institutions, a lot of them had to pay the restitution or just fold completely. Hmm. You look at Countrywide, they used to be in business years oh, ago. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I remember that. Yeah, they, they had the commercials and everything, but they were they were really big. Um, wow, 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 wow. That's very interesting. Thank well, you. Got, what you what you what what happened is that you had these programs for, and then you had everybody was started buying houses, right? And one of my friends bought a house, built a house. I said, man, shoot, we both got to graduate the same year. I said, where did you build your house at? Oh, I went to oh I went to the model. I said, okay, let me go over here and I want to try to build me a house. You know what I mean? And then that's how it happened. And, but you had all these programs out there that would allow for someone who may have no no job, all they have is an excellent credit score, to buy a home. And then they saw, oh man, where'd you buy your all up on my house with XYZ Builder? And then they went. And then the next person, and then the next person went. And it was just a trickle down effect because you bought a house, okay, I want to buy a house. And then the next person buy a house. And that's how it happened. And then what happened is that all these people lost their home. Well, or not all of them, but a large number of them lost their homes because they weren't ready to buy housing. My people are destroyed for the lack of knowledge. Once we get in there and start educating folks, and that's why you have people like Lisa and Stacy and Doug, all these folks out here, they're educating borrowers now. It's a different game because we understand we don't want to be a part of what happened or what our parents went through, our cousin went through, our auntie or uncle went through. A lot of those young younger generation, they understand what happened. They're not going to let that happen again. Gotcha. Don't gotcha. get me wrong. There's still there's still realtors or whatnot out here that aren't educating their clients. They're out here just you know trying to make a quick buck. That's why you know I take my time with my clients and I make sure they understand what we're getting into before we even move forward. There's no point in me putting you in a position where you're going to lose a house. Gotcha. Question two. Now, tell me about this. I list my house. I get you know people to, to bid on it or to put offers in on it, but I want to stay in my house after it closes, and I want you to pay the mortgage while I stay here because I ain't ready to move yet. It's a seller's would, market. The sellers can get whatever are they you want. Kidding me? No. I did yeah. that when I bought my house. They stay thirty days after I pay for the house. So yeah. Yep. But wow. Yeah. Most most lenders won't let it go past thirty days, though. Mm-hmm. Well, 
I say that to say this. There was a house that my wife and I were looking at, and I believe it was a beautiful home. It was a beautiful home. It was it was within budget. It had all the bells and whistles and wet bar and all that stuff. Off. And so I said, hey, I want to put an offer in on it. And so, you know, working with a realtor, you know, we had, we, we had a Zoom call. And it's okay, well, this is what they're asking. They're asking, you know, for you to put this you know, money down, but they want you at their closing, they want to stay in it for like another three months. And they didn't want to pay any rent or anything. They just wanted to stay there. I'm like, are people that bold to even ask to stay in the house without paying a goddamn dime to yeah. work? Yeah, they can do it. They can do that. It's, it's, there's a line, there's a couple of lines in the contract where you can say where you're going to pay like damages or if they're going to do rent back or whatnot. But they they can they can at least have renters insurance, right? Because they're not because they don't own the home anymore. The home I own the home. And it's you, like, I own the home, and have your the home. In, in place. You'll still have your homeowners insurance in place. Right, but help <laughs> <laughs> me understand this. If you get an apartment to rent, a requirement for some apartments anyway, if you to get renters insurance. Yes? Yeah. The apartment but... itself has insurance, <laughs> but you still got to get renters insurance for your 400 square For your foot. personal stuff. So, yeah, if they want their personal things, then yeah. But they ain't got nothing to do with you, the personal, their personal property. Right. <laughs> so, they can, so they can destroy the house in them, in them three months. And when no. you take possession. No. So I have a question. question. Your homeowner's insurance will cover the house itself. Right. It will, but the, it also has to stay in. in in the same, your your realtor yeah. has to write that in your purchase mm-hmm. agreement. Yeah, and it's in the same condition, you know. Because then you can take that, like you can you can get them for that. You can't do that. So you have you have to protect your client. Also, you can't just let somebody stay there. Well, I'm just saying. I mean, stay you know, if you was my buyer, I'll say let's go for that deal uh, because you'll have at least you have almost two months of not paying your first mortgage payment. They'll be in the house, right? Because you know, the first time I buy a house, I got to change the toilet seats, so I don't know what's been going on. <laughs> what should I do? Change the toilet seats. So you know, I'm just, I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm, but you were saying though, Stacy, that there are some realtors out there who are just trying to make a buck. Yes, and they'll put their clients. Don't have your interest in mind. Yes, yes. Well, I'm not one of those. Right. Neither I would just tell my my buyer we can sacrifice three months. This is your dream home that you want. I will sacrifice three months. It also just just depends on what the situation is for the seller too. Like if they're building a home or if they're trying to look for their home or something like that. Okay, okay, we'll we can give you out faster than the three months. They exactly, time to find their their next property. Mm-hmm. Okay. Than that. Okay. Like they can't just stay there, you know. You just gotta sacrifice a little bit in this market. Okay. So, yeah. Okay. No, I, I can respect bit. that. Just a little bit. That. I wouldn't tell my buyers to do anything that I wouldn't do. So. Okay. All right. So, so, like so, so the solution here on this call is to contact Lisa and Stacy. That's <laughs> yeah. a solution, right? We're talking <laughs> solutions. Is to contact you two and then go see Doug for mortgage financing. Yeah, my guy does. Look, look, and then after they do all of that, they bring the buyer to my model. Exactly. (laughs) After all that happened, it'll come full circle. All (laughs) the way around. Full circle. All right, all right, okay. All right. Where, where are you located, Dave? Where's your, uh, what model are you in right now? Are you in yeah, the Fishers model? They have me in Fishers right now. And, uh, yeah, that house is so nice. It, it is. is beautiful. It's, beautiful. it's so nice. Is that how they'll ever be on the market? I would probably say in a couple of years they're going to put couple it on the years. market. Uh, right now they have me in Fishers for, I'll probably be there for at least the next six months. And then they're going to put me in a model. We have two brand new neighborhoods coming in Warren. And both of those neighborhoods will start the 250 price range. Uh, so, yeah, single family, uh, both of them. I mean, you're probably looking at 100 lots at each location. So, you know, starting the 250 price range. And you can have an FHA loan. So we, you know, we don't. <laughs> and I just want to say, this is men speaking out. And the next time we do a, a plug like that, I'll be looking for a paycheck to be put on the show for uh, well, no. we, we do have a referral program <laughs> so. <laughs> <laughs> you know okay <laughs> i'm just 
teasing. Okay, let's talk. This is the last subject I want to kind of get into. Uh, gentrification. Right? Let's, that's whew, that's that's crazy, right? Um, uh, it has the power to displace low-income families or more often prevent low-income families from moving into previous affordable neighborhoods. It's how can I put this? It's very, it's very disheartening to see like, you know, down like on 25th and Capitol, right? Down those areas over there, you know, and to know 20 years ago, you know, people, those those homes where you didn't even want to look at them, didn't even want to be bothered with them. And now those, those same properties out there on Broadway and Capitol and, you know, things of that nature are being revamped. And these tax sales, people are getting these homes for a little bit of nothing and turning around and putting money into them and selling them for four or five hundred thousand dollars that 25 years ago wouldn't even go for 75 grand for that matter. So what's happening here, right? What's what's happening in that space, right? Are is, is property being, is it the taxes, right? Is it, are, are they pushing people out of those neighborhoods to bring people from the suburbs back into the city so they can get to work quicker? They're not driving from Fishers for a whole hour up and a whole hour down. That's two hours on the road to get to them from work. What's what's happening? How how can we, well, let's say, well, not say this, this is a joint effort. How can we stop gentrification? Is it, is it is it tax relief programs, zoning laws? I mean, talk to me. You guys are the experts. You know, well, uh, go ahead. Well, one thing I can say, I wish it was like a cap on investors on how much property they can buy in this market, um, because that's who I'm seeing buy in that area the most is investors. Mm-hmm. Um, I do have a client that's buying in that market next month and she's buying it from her grandmother. So her grandmother is going into a nursing home and she's um, basically getting that house on a short sale. So, Mm. but driving down that street, it looks like it's a lot of investors that are trying to do flips on that neighborhood. Yeah, I mean, I got to admit, me and my little brother were talking about doing that a few years back too, right? Mm -hmm. Hey, we we need to we saw an opportunity and right? they're not getting those houses for low they're getting those houses for close to two investors so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. well you know one of the things that i did jamil as you know i've had an opportunity to meet with andre congressman andre carson and we sat down and we spoke about this very topic gentrification uh not only affordable but accessible housing and uh so on on the third of june I'm meeting with the mayor's office and the Department of Workforce Development and some other folks uh, uh, downtown uh, with them, with Andre, uh, uh, excuse me, Congressman Carson, to figure out land acquisition downtown, near downtown, in those spaces that they own, that we can build homes on and make them affordable for families. You know, you in order to get things done around here, you have to push people that we elected to get things done the way we want them done. Right. If we if we continue to go about things carelessly and uh, without uh, providing folks with uh, some type of uh, of a push, or we got to like my mother used to say, sometimes you got to light a fire in the ass. You know what I mean? You got to get them moving. You know, you got to get them up and rolling. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes you have to do that. And if we voted for them, you know what I mean? Like we put we we not saying people here, but we you know folks voted them in. So, Mr. Congressman, uh, Mr. Mayor, you know, you folks are working for us and the people that voted for you can't even live in the district anymore. You know what I mean? So what's going on? What's really going on? Do we need to vote you out and get somebody else in that can vote and that can push our interest, 
being a part of the political system, the political democratic process is exactly what we as people need to do. You mentioned last night on a different podcast, get out and vote. Well, we need to get out and make these people understand that our votes matter. So I'm very gracious for the opportunity to sit with the mayor and the congressman and all those folks, which, you know, is great. But at the same time, what can you do for me? Right. What can you do for the people that I represent in my city that I love this city and I love the folks that are here? And how can I get that message and take it back to people like Lisa and Stacy and Doug and all the folks that I work with and say, you know what? We got an opportunity to help you family. That's what it's all about. And that, Jamil, is the, is the secret sauce. It's trying to figure out a way. How can we, uh, uh, what do you say, mobilize, right? Mobilize and figure out ways to be innovative and utilize strategies to improve the condition of our community. And we do it with everybody. It's not a secular thing. It's not, we don't work in silos. We bring everybody together to make it work harmoniously. And I think that we are on to something great. It's just a matter of time and we're gonna hold these people's feet to the fire. My mother used to always say, be uh be ready what she what she used to say she used to say uh be ready uh, even if you don't be, be ready go. even if you don't get to go you gotta have your jacket on and ready even if you don't get to go just be ready, and be so, ready. <laughs> we're gonna be ready we're gonna be ready when i meet with them on the third of june yeah okay okay well, well thank you for that uh for that close and actually i got one question i want to go around the virtual room here and i want to um as uh, what's the best advice um, you can give to anyone um, who started the journey of looking for a home? And I'm gonna start with you. What's the best advice you can give anyone? The best advice I would say is to educate themselves as much as possible. Um, I think knowledge is power. And the more we know, the more better decisions we will make for ourselves. So. Okay, awesome. Doug, what about you? You know, that's, that's great advice. Uh, read a book. Life, uh, life doesn't stop when we get out of college or high school, wherever that stopped. And um, education is a community. And, you know, we talked a little bit about that. You know, each one teach one. You know, something happens in the community and I hear about it. I want it. Um, but sharing the right information um, is, is, is extremely important because, you know, we grow together. And, um, I don't feel like collectively that we are all in unison sometimes with with just the information. Um, there's a lot of uh, mixed feelings, especially if you turn on the TV or look at your phone. So, you know, surrounding ourselves with the right people and and experts in our field, um, people that we can trust that, that have our best interest in mind. Um, that that that's in my opinion, the first step, best advice. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, Brother David, what's uh, the uh, best advice you can give to one for home? Oh, you know, the best advice I think I've given clients over the years is, uh, is you know, make sure you have your affairs in order. You know, when you're, when you're, when you're doing business, you know, let's do business. You know, it's, it's, it's not a, we're gonna develop a relationship, but also understand, like Lisa said earlier, you know, this is not going to be your last home, right? Yeah, it's a huge investment, but we're going to be, this is just the first part, of, especially when you're working with first-time homebuyers, what I'm alluding to, is to have your affairs in order, understand credit, you know, and, and, and don't take everything so personally. When I tell you, hey, these are the things, we need to do A, B, C, and D. Are you just not trying to help? You know, they'll say, oh, you're not trying to help me. You're not getting, you know, no, man, I'm trying to help. I'm giving you what it is that you need to be successful in life. But the problem is some people that don't want to listen. So the best advice I give is don't take everything so personally. Have an open mind, have an open heart, and then we can get to the, we can find a solution to your problem. Okay, right on, right on. What about you, Eric? What? What's the best advice you give someone looking for a home? Um, ask any and all questions. There's no such thing as a bad question. They can never not ask enough questions. Okay, okay. Stacy, saving the best for last. <laughs> Tell me, what is the best advice you give someone looking for a home? Really, it's a combination of what everybody said. Honestly, um, be open-minded, because if you're closed-minded, if you're not willing to be teachable, then how are we even going to help you? How are we going to get you to your destination? How are we going to get you 
to that final step of generational wealth. What are, what are we doing here? You know, if we can't even talk to you and be frank with you, be upfront and let you know what you need to do and you're combative about everything, then we're not gonna be able to help you. And that's just being completely honest, just being open-minded, being teachable, um, being ready and prepared, um, educating yourself, if you don't know where to start, you know, you got two amazing realtors on the line here that can definitely get you where you need to be. And trust me, I'm going to tell you what you need to do. And if I don't know, I know a thousand people that do. So that's just one thing that, you know, um, you, you have at your disposal here is just to, if you don't know something, find somebody who does. And everybody on this call here, we definitely know what to do and we'll get you to where you need to go. Okay, okay. You know, Jamil, you know, uh, on our first day of school, you know, we all had our brand new kicks, right? We had our clean socks, brand new socks and jeans, nice designer, designer clothes, right? We were ready, right? We had our book bag and mm -hmm. brand new erasers and pens and <laughs> notebooks. And that's how you got to be when you buy a house. You got to be ready. You know what I mean? You go into that classroom ready to go with your, uh, you know, with your backpack and all your, your, your stuff. And like a carpenter, you come with your tool belt and your, and your tools. Buying a house is the same. It's the same analogy, man. Same philosophy. I always say proper preparation prevents poor performance. Yeah. And that's what it comes down to at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. So with that being said, I, I got these heavy hitters on here. But everybody's <laughs> left and the right. I'm, I'm, I'm loving it. Hey, I want to thank you all very much for, uh, you know, for, for taking your time to spend with me. I'm honored. Uh, you know, uh, here on this Thursday night, and um, you guys are wonderful. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank I you appreciate you guys me. so much. And uh, man, I'm, I'm gonna go do some research now and <laughs> and uh, you know, help somebody else. I'm gonna spread the word. And the next time we have plugs for real estate agents, mortgage companies, and home builders, <laughs> I'll send you an invoice. It's all good. <laughs> all right, guys, thank you very much for being speaking out. I'm Jamil Shabazz, or no, that's Boz, your host. And thank you very much. Have a wonderful evening. Thank, thank you. you. Have thank a great night, guys. Thanks Thanks for having me. Me. Thanks for listening in. Hopefully, something shared today was inspiring, motivating, will give you the ability to be a better communicator. Most importantly, now you know you aren't alone in this struggle. So join us next time as we take on another hot topic on Men Speak It Out, where we talk to reveal, not to conceal.